Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, I welcome Sam Benstead back to the pod to chat through the funds and investment trusts that are amongst the most popular with UK investors. We're going to focus on four funds that are regularly at the top of Interact Investors' most bought funds and investment trust lead tables each month and name some potential funds alternatives. So Sam, let's kick off with the most popular fund with investors, which is Fundsmith Equity, which is of course managed by Teddy Smith. That's right. So I actually own Fundsmith Equity. I think it's a fantastic fund and it's on our Super 60 list of of recommended funds. So we'd like it as as an investment platform. And it invests in high quality companies that are still growing. So these are firms with established businesses that actually have plenty of growth ahead of them. Things like consumer goods companies, big technology stocks, luxury goods companies, industrial companies that sell key parts into into manufacturing supply chain. So really important businesses that aren't going anywhere. And, and Terry Smith prides himself on owning businesses that have been around for a long time and do a couple of things very, very well. It was launched just over a decade ago and has returned 16% since then and has a really strong start to the year as well, returning about 10% versus about 5% for the MSCI World Index. So great fund and it's very popular and popular for lots of good reasons. In terms of alternatives, there aren't many, which um, you know reflects you know how popular this fund is. I mean, it's got over 20 billion of assets under management. Um, but the one that springs to mind for me Although it's not a like-for-like alternative, is Lindell Train Global Equity. So this is managed by Nick Train, who, like Teddy Smith, he's a well-known fund manager. In terms of similarities, they both run concentrated portfolios. They both invest for the long term. They don't like to trade too much. Although I think Teddy Smith, he does trade more than Nick Train. I think whenever he buys a new share, it is a, is a red letter day. And I think that was reflected last year, actually. I think the newest stock that went into Lindell Train Global Equity which was Credit Scoring Group for Isaac Corporation. That was the first new holding for the fund for um, three years. Whereas we've seen over the past 18 months to two years that um, he's not made loads of changes, but Teddy Smith has made quite a few changes. Um, he's introduced a couple of technology companies, for example. So that's where there are some similarities. But you know, if you look at the two portfolios, they are very different. Nick Train's Global Fund is not a direct alternative. They both like consumer staples companies. Lintel Train Fund has just over 40%. Teddy Smith's fund has just over a third. But they both invest in that sector in very different ways. And there's not any crossover in terms of their top 10 holdings. Just to give a couple examples. So Teddy Smith, he's got the likes of LVMH, L'Oreal, whereas you know Nick Train, he likes drinks companies like Diageo and Heineken. But he also does have a taste for luxury goods. So he has Prada in the global fund. Both those investors at the moment are benefiting from luxury goods being immune to the backdrop of high inflation and also benefiting from the reopening of the Chinese economy. And the final point is that UK exposure is very different for these two global funds. So Nick Train has around 30% in the UK, whereas Teddy Smith only has 4%. And I think when you're buying a global fund, you need to be mindful of how much exposure you've already got to the UK. So I think that's something important to bear in mind. So the next fund that we're going to focus on, well, I say fund, it's actually a range of funds, the Vanguard Life Strategy. So these funds are very popular 
with investors. So there's five funds in the range and they all have a different amount of exposure to equities. So it goes up from 20% to 40% to 60% to 80% to 100%. So what these funds do is they passively split investors' money across shares um, and bonds by buying index funds that are ran, run by Vanguard. So what they do is they provide simple, cheap and low cost exposure to global stock markets. And given there's five funds, um, there's a fund for every sort of risk level, down from cautious all the way up to adventurous. And they are low cost, which is very appealing, 0.22% a year. So, you know, if you invest £10,000 into one of these funds or a number of them, then that's only £22 a year. And they're great for beginner investors who are starting out. These, these are, you know, these are potential one-stop shop funds for investors. And they can also make ideal core holdings where you can, you can put the majority of a portfolio in one or a couple of these funds. And they provide investors um, diversification. The rebalancing is, is done for investors. And as you'd expect, in terms of how they perform, you'd expect over the long term that the, the, the most adventurous one, the 100% equity, you'd expect that to perform the best and then go down 80, 60, 40, 20%. But I think there's two things to be aware of when sizing up these funds. You just get an exposure to shares and bonds. Um, there is a little bit of exposure to REITs in some of the funds, but there's no alternative asset classes. And alternative asset classes could provide you with you know, potential uh, greater diversification. And the other thing to bear in mind is that the range has a bias towards the UK, both in the equity exposure and the bonds. So just for example, the 100% version has 25% in UK equities, whereas if you look at something like the MSCI World Index, UK shares account for around 4%. Quite a big difference there. I think that's something to be aware of particularly as I've just previously mentioned, if you already have quite a lot of exposure to the UK through other investments, through funds, investment trusts, or direct shares. And in terms of the home bias, um, I asked um, Vanguard about this last year when I did a video interview with Monique Deer, and she told me that it's a it was a deliberate decision to um, have that much exposure to the UK because before the Vanguard like strategy funds were launched um, over a decade ago, they asked investors what they would want from their investments. And they said that they wanted a decent amount of exposure to their home market. Personally, I don't entirely agree with that. I think the product provider should be sort of making the decisions. And if, if the product provider, such as Vanguard, thinks that it's not in people's best interest to have a lot of exposure to the UK, then I think that they should make that decision for investors rather than it being the other way around. Yeah, and, and that home bias is the reason that the Vanguard 100% equity life strategy fund has actually underperformed a simple MSCI world tracker, which just owns companies based on their on their market size. So if you'd owned the iShares core MSCI world use its ETF, which is a super 60 fund, you would have performed better than owning the Vanguard 100% life strategy range because it has more in the US versus Vanguard's alternative. Having, having said that, you know, those two little gripes that I've got about the range, it's, it's a fantastic range for investors and I can see why it's been incredibly successful. And in terms of alternatives, there's not too many to them, but um, one that I would point out is the BlackRock MyMap range. So it's similar 
uh, in terms of, you know, it allocates assets through passive funds and it also caters to different risk appetites. There's eight funds in the range overall. Seven of the funds are slightly cheaper. They cost 0.17%, except they've got an income, well, model, which is charges slightly more at 0.2.8%. Now, a key difference between this BlackRock MyMap range and the Vanguard Life Strategy range is that BlackRock makes short-term tactical changes, whereas Vanguard's don't do that. Um, Sam mentioned it was a tough year last year for the life strategy range. Um, didn't perform as you would expect it to perform normally, but um, you know it stuck to its guns. It doesn't make tactical changes when things are going against it. And another difference is that this BlackRock MyMap range, it also has some exposure to alternative assets. In terms of other alternatives, LNG have a range as well, don't they, Sam? That's right. So generally, it's only the giant asset managers that can afford to put these products together because they pack them with their own index funds. So LNG has got a big index arm. BlackRock does obviously with iShares and, and Vanguard, of course, does. So you have to look to the big boys for these alternatives. And LNG has a multi-index range. Uh, they have risk profiles ranging from three to seven, and they've got growth and income versions of it. And actually, one of the funds just made it onto our, our low-cost model portfolio range. And that's the LNG Multi-Index 7. It's the highest risk option. So it has 85% in equities, 10% in alternatives, and about 5% in bonds. It costs about 0.3% in ongoing charges. So a bit more expensive than Vanguard and BlackRock. But like the BlackRock fund, you do get this kind of active asset allocation decisions where they might be you know more overweight us equities or uk equities or, or bonds depending on what they think might happen to markets so we've covered the most popular funds and the most popular passive funds well passive fund range with our customers so sam could you run through the most popular investment trusts which of course you know we spoke about very recently on the podcast scottish mortgage yeah so scottish mortgage everybody has probably heard of it i own it kyle owns it it's been a superstar investment trust through early investments in the likes of Tesla and Amazon and Alibaba. And, and what it tries to do is find outstanding growth companies that can actually change their sector. They can, they can change the world, according to Bailey Gifford, the fund manager behind the trust. So it's very high, high risk. It's very adventurous. It also owns private companies, um, which will generally be less established than their, their public market peers. And that means that when times are good, it can do amazingly well. 2021 and 2020 were amazing years for the trust. But when times are bad, when interest rates are rising and investors move away from, from higher risk shares, performance can be very poor. So that's what we've seen this year and, and also last year. So yeah, a very popular trust, but it has its own issues and plenty that investors need to be aware of before, before buying it. In terms of alternatives, the one that springs to mind for me is the Monks Investment Trust, which is also um, Bailey Gifford managed like Scottish mortgages. It is viewed as a less aggressive alternative to Scottish mortgage. So it's run by a different team at Bailey Gifford. So the managers are Spencer Adair and Malcolm McCoyle. And it also invests in high growth companies. But one of the key differences is that it does place greater focus on diversification, more so than Scottish mortgage. The stock positions in Monks, they're also much smaller than Scottish Mortgage. So the top holding, Microsoft, is um, 3%. Whereas, obviously, with Scottish Mortgage, the position size is a lot more, more, lot more punchy than that in the top 10. 
So Monks, what it does is it splits its money into three types of growth stocks. One of the categories is stalwart. So these are established, dependable companies. It also invests in rapid growth stocks, so innovative firms. And then it also invests in cyclical companies, so um, growth companies that could potentially do well against the prevailing economic backdrop. There's some articles last year in which one of the fund managers, Spencer Adair, he held his hands up and he admitted that you know he wasn't happy about performance last year. He thought that you know Monk's and um, the share price you know fell too much and that the you know overall performance didn't do as well as he as he wanted to. And he held his hands up and said that he should have acted faster to sell certain companies, some of these rapid growth stocks, as they categorised them, as the economic environment changed, as um, you know interest rates went up, and twenty stocks were sold. Last year, you know, for me, I, th- I thought it was good to see a fund manager be this open and transparent and hold his hands up. And in terms of um, returns over the past year, so Monks, it's down eight point three percent. You know, I'm sure its shareholders, you know, that are not you know happy to have a loss, but you know, compared to Scottish Mortgage, which is down over thirty percent, it has proven to be a less aggressive version in that sense. Is there are there any other alternatives, Sam, that spring to mind for Scottish Mortgage? The one I'd highlight is the Allianz Technology Trust. So obviously it's, it's a tech fund, but it's more focused on on the giant tech stocks, which Scottish Mortgage doesn't own. So you'll see Apple, Microsoft, Nvidia, Meta, all in the top 10 there. And these are established, profitable, big companies, which are far less risky than some of the smaller firms that Scottish Mortgage owns. It also likes a few other investment themes like cybersecurity and semiconductors. So you are getting an active bet as well on on parts of the technology space that the fund manager thinks will be winners. And the fourth fund that is very popular with our customers is an income mandate in City of London Investment Trust. So I don't invest in this trust, but I, I do have to admit, I do have a soft spot for it. I think it just consistently serves its shareholders well. So it's managed by Job Curtis. He's been in charge since 1991, which is a very long tenure. And I do think he's a genuine safe pair of hands. He invests in dependable dividend-paying stocks. He mainly sticks to the FTSE 100 uh, companies, so the large companies in that index. It's a dividend hero. It's got you know 56 years of consecutive dividend increases. I think the board they'll want to keep that run going. They won't want to lose um, that you know that, that 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 strong run. I'm sure they'll want to try and get to 60 years if possible. And I also like that it has a decent yield and a, and a market beating yield. You know, it's five percent at the moment. Some of these other dividend hero trusts, they are a lot more growth focused and their lower yields reflect that, um, which I think is something to be aware of if you're a new investor and you're looking at um, your one income. So, something to be aware of with City of London. It's not for those that are sustainability focused. You know, there's tobacco stocks, there's oil, oil stocks in the top 10. Um, and another thing to point out is that if you want potential long-term higher growth potential, there's a lack of mid and small cap stocks. But again, you know, I think this trust, it's fulfilling this role in terms of giving people hopefully a market beaten level of income in investing in FTSE 100 large cap companies. That's the role it is fulfilling. And the final thing to point out is that it has some international exposure at around 15%. And um, I've spoken to Joe Curtis about this and what he's told me is that this is to provide some diversification in some sectors. He made the point to me that, you know, in some sectors like pharmaceuticals in the UK, he's he's only really got the likes of Glaxo and um, AstraZeneca to choose from. So, you know, he has some exposure to non-UK pharmaceutical stocks. And that's the same is the case for, um, for other sectors. He has some 
extra international exposure. Sam, what's your thoughts on City of London and what do you think would make a potential alternative? Yeah, it's, it's a great trust. and I'm not surprised to see it consistently among the most bought trusts. The one thing I would highlight is that it consistently trades at a slight premium to its NAV. So that's because of how popular it is. If you want to buy an income-focused investment trust that doesn't trade at a premium, and actually want to pick up shares at a discount, one I would highlight is JP Morgan Claverhouse. So we had the manager in our studio a couple of weeks ago speaking about the strategy and it yields 5%. It's overweight energy, which has worked out for it. And yeah, that 4% discount on it means that you are potentially getting a good deal. The one thing I highlight is that it's very benchmark aware. By that, I mean it, it looks very similar to the FTSE All Share Index, making slight tweaks on sectors such as energy. But it's performed well and um, it's a big established trust. Another one that I would highlight, Sam, is um, Merchants. So this this trust, the reason why I think it's a potential alternative to City of London, um, it's the same, same the case with uh, Claverhouse as well, is that, you know, it does target higher yielding companies. So if that's what you're after, then I think any of those trio are good options, really. They're all consistent dividend payers that have all got decent yields. So that's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please follow the show in your podcast app and tell a friend about it. If you get a chance, leave us a review or a rating in your podcast app too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you would like us to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. And in the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website, ii.co.uk. See you next week.